If you have your Bibles, open them up. We got a jam today. We have so much to get done today. We are in First Peter chapter three. So if you would turn with me to First Peter chapter three, I would like to. Um, I want to start just by sharing my heart with you just a little bit. I want you guys to hear my heart. One of the things that we do that I do as a pastor, as a preacher, is I come up here and I get up here on Sunday morning and, and I spend so much time trying to convince people that the word of God is true. And, 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 I, and I, I, I weary myself with, and that's a part of preaching is, is convincing and trying to convince people that, that it's true, it's true, it's true. And I'm reading it and I'm showing and I'm illustrating and, and, and spend so much energy trying to convince people that it's true. I'm going to, will you guys give me a Sunday off? Because I really don't want to try to convince you that it's true today. And here's the, here's the reality. Most of you already believe it's true. Most of you already know it's true. I don't have to convince you. Why am I wasting your time for, for maybe a few people that, that, that don't believe or know that it's true and I got to work on them. So today I, I want to speak and I want to today what I want to do is just assume everybody believes it's true. So what I want to do today is I want to encourage you in, in, in doing what it says because you believe it's true. Amen. And so, you know, we, we could make millions and millions of dollars, right? If, and, and, and trillion dollar industry in the, in the next best um, self-help diet. You know, how many diet programs have you seen come and go in your life? Have any of you ever felt like there's no possible way that someone will invent another different style of invention uh, to lose weight? Like it's all been done already. There's no more way to make money on a diet plan. How long does it take before a new one comes out? A week? And someone will come up with something. You watch. Give me a week and there'll be a new one. Hit, your, hit, hit, hit the pages of the news or whatever, however they advertise. Something will come up. Because everybody wants to know the, the get well, the self-help, how to have a good life. But I'm going to tell you today, God gives for us in the word of God. And, and I'm going to tell you and deliver for you. What if I told you I could deliver it and I won't even charge you for it? Besides what, what you already gave the Lord in your, in your tithe. And that doesn't go to me anyways. No, I'm just kidding. So it, what if I told you I could, I could have for you a, a, a foolproof plan that you would be, have prosperity, you would have good days, good life, and success in your life? Would anybody sign up? Raise your hand if anybody wants that. Anybody want good days? You want success? You want prosperity? Well, do you believe the word of God is true? Your Sunday is going to be so good. It's going to be so easy. You're going to leave here today like... A million dollars richer and have success and have happiness. And, and, and I'm just going to lay it out for you because God gives us the ingredients to have a good life. It's right there. And it's not because we don't have the tools or because God didn't tell us or because God doesn't want us. And, and it's not even because we don't believe it's true because most of us really live our lives and believe the word of God is true. It's because we don't apply it to our lives. It's because we don't practically live it out. So today, I'm just going to try to encourage us as a family of believers, as Christian people, just to be obedient to what the Word of God says. And then I'm going to promise that I will deliver for you prosperity, good success, and good days added to your life when you leave here today. Tall order? I'm down. Hey, so I want to, before we get to the good stuff, 
um, I, I feel like we just want to do a quick. Just give me three minutes. Go turn your page back one. I want to start in First Peter chapter one and and just go through. I'm not going to read any verses, maybe one, but I'm going to read those titles in between the verses that talk about what they are. We we have been uh, we had Christmas and then we had New Year's and and as we've been marching through First Peter, I, I just want to give us a little recap to catch us up to where we are today. So we we started week one. We started with getting to know who Peter was. And it's important that as we as we read what Peter wrote, that we know a little bit something about the author. It helps. Peter was a guy just like you and I. He had many ups and downs in his life. He had some of the greatest failures and greatest successes recorded in the Bible. He, he, he was a disciple of Jesus whom Jesus had to say to him and call him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He's talking to Peter. Now, besides Peter, I think I'm the only other disciple who's, who's been called Satan by Lydia's dad as, as an assistant pastor. And my pastor from the pulpit found a way to call me Satan. But um, Peter goes from that to the, you know, the, the pinnacle of his life in, in so many ways. I mean, so many highlights in Peter's life. Peter was a rugged fisherman. He was, he was a man's man. He was a, just an ordinary person like you and I. And, and Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. Peter was standing at the, at the temple after Jesus died and rose again. And he preached and 3,000 people got saved and began to speak in tongues. And, and shortly after he went and there was a lame man there. And Peter put out his hand to him and he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I give, but what I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And this guy jumped and was leaping and praising God and, and so many highlights. And so we got to know Peter and his ups and his downs and, and the realness of who he was as we try to take what he tells us and know where it's coming from. And Peter started with, now to set the, again, the parameters of the time and the people that Peter was writing to. Now, as we read and study the Bible, one thing you have to understand is that the prophecies in the Bible oftentimes have what we call a dual fulfillment. So Peter is writing specifically in around 65, 67, 68, somewhere in there. Um, Jesus died in 33. Um, John wrote the book of Revelation sometime around um, the turn of the first century, around 100 um, AD. So right in the middle of those two time frames, um, Peter is writing his epistle. And, and by the time John writes the book of Revelation, 35 years later, 6 million Christians will have been murdered or on their way to the death in the Colosseums and by lions and nailed to crosses and poured wax and, and, and burned in the gardens as the light of the world and murdered. 6 million Christians murdered in the first century for their faith. And this is the group that Peter's writing to. So naturally, his audience, and he's writing to encourage them during the time of suffering. The, 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 the idea and, the, and the, the heart of Peter's book is suffering. He uses the, the word suffering 16 times. Look at your neighbor and say, 16? There's not even 16 days in a week. That was weak. All right, look at your other neighbor, neighbor that you chose last second and tell them 16 times. All right. Hey, I'm, I want you guys to be interaction today. I'll preach, but you guys got to respond. Um, and so Peter is dealing with suffering. And then Peter takes this idea of joy, joy, joy in suffering. You know what the word blessed means? What does the word blessed mean? So the word blessed, it means happy, right? So when Jesus said, oh, how happy, and he gave the Beatitudes this blessed idea. 
So somebody say it like Phil Roberts. Happy, happy, happy. How about everybody say it like Phil Roberts? Happy, happy, happy. So that, that's the idea. And Peter puts these two things together. Happy, happy, happy and suffering. Now, we don't put those things together. Like when's the last time you were working hard and you had your hammer out and you're nailing away and you just smashed your thumb and flattened it and you said, yes, I'm so happy. Or you kicked up the table at your house and stubbed your toe and got excited and happy. We, we don't really associate suffering with happiness, but yet the Bible does all the way through. You know what's cool? It's consistent. It's not just Peter. Paul tells us. Um, Jesus tells us. James tells us. John tells us. Moses tells us. David tells us. All the way through, you get this idea that there's something different about the Christian, that there's happiness and joy even in the midst of suffering and even through suffering and even in suffering. And that reality is that, that life has its fair share of sufferings. Has anybody in here never suffered anything? Nobody? You guys lack faith or what? You ain't happy, healthy, and wealthy. You don't got a Cadillac and you haven't claimed it by faith. And you don't follow that gospel because it's just not true. The reality is we suffer. But what's cool is that God puts the two together and he says, in suffering, we find a joy. And Peter's going to be preaching to a group of people that are literally going to pay with their lives in the coming years. And so the first thing Peter starts in this context is, is with hope. Remember, we spent, the, we spent the second week in our study really talking about hope and the power of hope in the life of a Christian. Now, um, do you know what the, the cause of, of every suicide is? Satan removes all hope from somebody's life. And when he's, when he's, when he's victorious in removing 100% of hope from your life, he can convince you to kill yourself. And, the only, and why, do you, why do people commit suicide? Because they believe there's no hope for change. There's no hope for future. There's no hope left. And Satan's ultimate goal is to, is to remove all the hope from your life. So as, as God is constantly in his word encouraging us and reminding us of having hope in, and tells us what to hope in and where to put our hope and how to find more hope and how to get hope, Satan is constantly trying to remove that from your life. And that's a battle. But the Lord wants to put hope in your life. He wants you to live with, with hope, hope for heaven, hope for eternity, hope for life, hope for blessing. And God puts hope. And Peter starts, and we, we really unpack the idea of how powerful hope is in, in the life of the believer. And then let's look in between. I'm in chapter 1 now. I'm just going to go through the highlights real quick. In between 12 and 13, the title is Living Before God Our Father. And so after Peter introduces hope, then he talks about really the foundation of Christian living. And the foundation for Christian living is relationship with the living God. A God who's alive, a God who created the heavens and the earth. And no longer does Moses only have to go up on the mountain and meet with a holy God. But you have all been invited to come up on the mountain. No more will you die if you come on Mount Sinai when the Lord appears. We are all open. The veil of the temple rent from top to bottom. And we've all been invited to come on top of a mountain and meet with the holy living God. In relationship with the Father. And that's true Christianity is, is, is knowing that the God who created the heavens and the earth cares about me intimately, personally. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to fellowship with me. And so Peter establishes that, that first hope and then second relationship. And then um, it's no, it's no, the way this stuff goes is no coincidence. It's not by mistake. And then what happens between, you guys may have different titles in your Bible than I do, but between 21 and 22, there's another title of the next section. Does, what, what does it say in some of your Bibles? 
the enduring word. And so now Peter is going to talk about the, the, the role of the word of God in your life and in my life. And I want to tell you in the life of a believer, it, it, it is crucial. It is key to your success in Christian living is that you meditate and that you grow through the study of the word of God. Why? Because there's tons of false doctrine out there. There's tons of bad theology going around. There's cults and isms and schisms. And, and when somebody comes to you as a Christian person and they say, hey, Christian, how, how do I know what's true when my Muslim friend and my LDS friend and my Catholic friend and my Christian friend and, and my Hare Krishna friend, none of them can agree on, on God and what's true about God. How do I know what's true? It's the Word of God that, take, that makes the difference. And when you study the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and you, you study and you, you hear and you know the heart of God, and whenever you form an opinion or a doctrine, you form it out of the Word of God, and, and that it doesn't come out in left field. And if you do that, and you just take the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation practically and together, you will not end up in left field with some weird doctrine. And anybody who comes up with some weird doctrine or ideas, I guarantee you they didn't get it just from studying the Word of God. And so Peter uh, establishes and reminds us of our position and and the value of being in the Word as a Christian. What's our saying here? Read your Bible and pray every day. Meditate on it day and night. And then it goes on um, in in chapter 2. And the next section is... um, between verse 3 and 4, it says the chosen stone and his chosen people. And then we, we have this thing where, you know, oftentimes the writers of the New Testament, Paul, Jesus, um, the James, what they do is they take a, a portion to remind you of how blessed you are in God. How, how the position that you have. And Peter tells us in this section, look at verse 9 real quick, 2-9. We did it last week too. But you are a chosen generation. Somebody say chosen. You are a royal priesthood. Somebody say royal. It's getting good up in here. Somebody say you are a holy nation. His own special people. Somebody say special. We're not talking about the special bus. The short one that you rode to school. You know, do, do you feel this way? Do you feel this way about yourself? How many of you guys feel every day you get up in the morning, you just go to the mirror and you go, man, I'm chosen I'm royal, I'm holy, I'm special. Nobody? Just Shane. Love it. Shane rocks it and gets in the whitey tighties in the mirror. I'm special. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm royal. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. You know, when I first became a Christian, I first got a job as a pastor. I was an assistant pastor, but my my job was to clean the bathrooms and set the chairs up and take the chairs down, clean the windows, vacuum the carpets, sweep the sidewalks. I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. True story. You, you, You have to start as a janitor if you want to move up. That's just the way it worked in the ministry that I started up in. And, and you know what, as like, I felt like, Okay, I'm the janitor for God, but I, you know, like I have the cleanest toilets. My toilets would sparkle too. Like I would do a really good job. I would make sure they were clean. And even when the, when the big Russian orchestra came through, I still had clean toilets when they left. It was quite the chore, but it was done. And, and I don't always feel like I'm a janitor for God, but am I a, a royal priesthood? I'm a part of the royal priesthood. I'm a chosen vessel of God. I'm, I'm, I'm special to the Lord. And so Peter reminds us of our position. Do you remember when we studied Ephesians? You're having a bad day? Man, just, just turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and read that bad boy. 
about where you are and the position that you hold in Christ. And so in, in, in Holy Spirit fashion, Peter reminds us as we go through this progression of who we are in Christ. And it's an elevated position. You're blessed. You're blessed in God. And that's God's opinion of you. Nowhere, nowhere will you find anywhere where God has a lowly opinion of any of you in the recorded in the word of God. He loves you, cares for you. You're just special. And we need that. We need that encouragement to get up. And um, if you can't find it, give, give Shane a call and say, hey, Shane, when you get up in the morning, can I just come watch and just see how that goes so I can get ready the next day? Um, and then he goes on and he says, and then he starts going practically now. And then the Bible's so practical. And Peter says, what does it say right before verse 11? Living before the world. And so Peter tells you how to be a good employee, how to be a good employer, how to be a Christian in the workplace. How to, and we went through practical, real life stuff as a Christian person that, that you, you know, to, to how you behave in the lunchroom and, and how you, you know, and, and life as a Christian person in the workplace. And then he brings it in and, and right in the middle of this whole topic of suffering and Christian living, he brings us to marriage. 16 times he says suffering. And then he says, hey, let's talk about marriage. And last week we, we, we had a fun time talking about marriage and, and God's prescription and, and ingredients for a really good marriage. And the girls said, you, you, weren't, you weren't hard enough on the man. You didn't really hammer him like you did us. And the guy said, hey, man, you went easy on the girls and you were too hard on us. But that's good. Both groups feel like I was harder on them than the other one. But just, just the reality of, 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 of Christian living in the marriage and in the home. So in the workplace and now in the home. And, and then um, real quick, ladies, what does it say right before chapter 3, verse 1? What's the title in your Bible say? What does it say? <laughs> None of you would say it. Just kidding. Just do it. You don't got to say it. And then, and then we get to um, chapter 3, verse 8, where we are today. Let's pick it up there. And what does that title say? Called to blessing. What's another way we could put it? Called to be what? Happy, happy, happy. Called to be happy. Oh, how happy. Now, I told you guys today that I have a recipe for blessing. I have the ingredients for blessing that if you'll apply them to your life, that God today, you will leave here prosperous and have good success. Now, again, just by a poll or, you know, maybe not a show of hands. Some of you guys got pens and pencils out and notes. I'm proud of you. I've been encouraging you guys to take notes for your purposes. And because God's spirit does something different when you take notes in church. But um, so write down if you have it out or just think about it in your head. Right now, well, what are the things in your life that you need that would make your life prosperous, successful, would give you good success and prosperity and joy of living and love life and, and, and see good days? What would it take? What's missing in your life that would accomplish those things? Would it be another million dollars, a different job, a different wife? A different husband? Sorry, stuck with the one you got. What, what are they? What's your list? Don't, you don't got to shout it out. Just think about it. And then I'm going to just give you God's list. I'm going to tell you what God's ingredients and recipe is in your life. Things to put in your life that, that will change your life. Look, turn with me. I want you to highlight these and know these. Some of these are, are ones that you should have committed to memory as a Christian. Um, if, if not, not sure where you're going to go when you die, but... Um, just kidding. Joshua chapter 1. 
verse number eight. Listen, it says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I'm going to preach in a minute. So you guys got to respond here, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Somebody say day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Listen, listen, for then you will make your way. What? prosperous and then you will have good success. God tells you right there how to be prosperous and have good success. And you already believe it's true. So how come all of you are not prosperous with great success? And many of you are, and many of us are, right? And maybe we, we struggle in this area. Or maybe we, we look at the wrong things for this prosperity and this success. Maybe when I asked you what were the things that you need in your life, you know, the, the, what does the world tell us? The world tells you you need a million followers on Instagram. You need to be somebody that everybody else desires. They desire to be like you. They, they, they want to know what you're having for lunch. They want to, you know, you post a picture of your dog and, you know, 40,000 people like it. Um, you know, and, and that's what the world tells us. How many of you guys remember Robin Leach? Okay, that was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. The lifestyles that are rich and famous. And, and, and Robin Leach, and, and, and you guys remember that they'd have this big intro with this dun, 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 dynasty music. And it would show pictures of yachts and, um, and helicopters and mansions and ocean getaways and girls in bikinis and um, luxury dining and champagne. And it was the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And that's what the world preaches that, that, that will bring us prosperity and good success. And, and, and I know, you know what, I know that that's not necessarily all of your hang-ups, that you guys aren't in here going, man, I just want to be rich and famous and then I'll be happy. You know, but, but that's what the world continues to shove down your throat. That's what the world shoves down your young people's throat. That's what the world lies and says will bring you prosperity and happiness and long days and quality of life. And, and, and we do, we have a tendency, whether we know it or not, we have a tens- tendency to desire some of those things or put false hope in some of those things that they're going to deliver. But, but guess what? They're not UPS or FedEx or the mailman. Talking about Carl Malone. Just like him, they don't deliver. <laughs> they, they don't deliver. Those things don't deliver. They don't deliver what we're looking for. And God's word tells us the first recipe is to meditate. Is it that simple to meditate on the word of God day and night? Now, it starts there. Meditate on the word of God. What does it say? Look at verse 8. Meditate on the word of God day and night so that you will be careful to observe all that is written in it. And so as we read it, then we have to believe it and obey it. And God has written us an ingredient to have a prosperous life. And it comes from read your Bible and pray every day. Meditate it in the morning. Meditate on night. And, and those are the things that God will use to change your life. Verse 9 in Joshua 1 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. And then we're going to go back to First Peter. Um, so hold your finger in First Peter if you're there. My favorite psalm of all. Psalm chapter 1. Now, this is the second part of the ingredient for prosperity and good success. And spoiler alert, it says the same exact thing that Joshua 1.8 says. Almost the same exact wording. It's the same prescription. Repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. We're going to get one more in First Peter. 
But in Psalm chapter 1, the guy says, or the psalmist David says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, now let's play that out. So blessed are you, happy are you, if you walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, ladies, for you. How could that practically live in your life where you are walking in the counsel of the ungodly and being disobedient to what the Word of God says? Now, let's take, for example, maybe you have a girlfriend. And you've had this girlfriend since like the fifth grade. And you guys have been real true besties like your whole life. And you trust her and you love her. And, and life has separated you. And at some point, you became a Christian and received Jesus in your heart. And she never did. And she's not a believer. She's not born again. She loves you to death. She's a great person. I'm not talking about good or bad person, but she's not a believer in Jesus Christ. She doesn't have faith. She doesn't know the word of God. She doesn't attend church. And and, and you're having a fight with your husband. You're having um, problems at your job. And and, and naturally, women, what do we do? What do you do? You call your bestie and and you, you vent and you share with her. And she begins to counsel you on what you should do in this situation with your husband. Now, is that that counsel that she gives you? Is that being obedient to Psalm chapter 1 or disobedient to Psalm chapter 1? It's disobedience because the Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And, and I'm not talking about good or bad people. I'm sure your bestie is a, a wonderful person. But if she's not a believer and the, and the Holy Spirit is not residing inside of her and she doesn't have godly wisdom when she counsels you and, and doesn't see the big picture of life and of heaven, and she, she's not somebody that the Bible, the Bible instructs you very clearly. Men and women, do not receive counsel from them. Find someone who's a godly woman, a godly man. Find someone who loves Jesus and has and is filled with the Holy Spirit and confide in them and receive wisdom from them. Because I guarantee you, they're going to point you in the right direction. And they're going to give you godly wisdom and they're going to lead you in the right direction. And then Psalm chapter 1 goes on and it says, Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of ungodly, listen, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and upon it he meditates when? Come on, y'all. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. He meditates on it day and night. Does that sound like something we just read? Exactly what it says in Joshua chapter 1. And then what's the result? Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does, somebody shall prosper. (laughs) I feel like a name and claim it preacher shall prosper just in a different way, just in the right way. And and when when God's word promises you prosperity, just understand that, that it's not always it's not limited to monetary prosperity. It's not saying that, 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 that God's just going to make you super wealthy and prosper monetarily and make a bunch of money. I believe that God can and will bless the area of your finances. But for some of us, that's proportional. It's proportional to the gifts and the skills and the work that you put in. It's, it's proportional to the, to the training that, that you received and, the, you know, and all those things and the position that you're in. But, but God will bless it. God will take care of it. God will provide all of your needs. But the prosperity that's promised is so much deeper than what money can do. Money can only do so much. Are, are, are the people who live the lifestyles of the rich and famous, are they the happiest people in the world? People that we see on the show with Robin Leach, were they, were they just bundles of joy for, and the real example of what happiness and how to live out a happy life? Were they that? Are they that in our world today? Kurt Cobain was on the top of the world. He made 
$17 million the year that he put a shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger? That didn't, that wasn't enough. And so we, we just know over and over and over and over again that, that, that a, a certain dollar amount doesn't bring us the success, that, that prosperity that God's talking about. And so that's the prescription. All right, let's go back to First Peter. I said we were going to jam. I told my wife to give me a, a hoot hoot at noon so that I'd know I had about 10 minutes left and we're approaching noon fast. First um, Peter chapter 3. So I, I wanted to kind of set an illustration for you for um, ingredients, right? Because the, the, the topic of today's sermon is a recipe for blessing. Somebody say a recipe for blessing. One more time, a recipe for blessing. That, that's what I hope you leave here with today, a recipe for blessing. Prescribed ingredients from God's word, a recipe for blessing. They, they asked a bunch of kindergartners. We used to do this in our school, and I had one that the boys did when they were in kindergarten. And, and I, I couldn't dig it out this morning or find it. But they asked kindergartners how to bake cookies and how, or how to make something. And the kindergartners write down and tell them how they're to do something. And I saw one online that was cute today about... Um, they asked kindergarten students how to make a turkey for Thanksgiving. And this is what um, Alexis, kindergartner, said. The turkey walks into my house. Next, somebody hits the turkey and kills it. My dad cuts the wings and legs off the turkey and eats them. My mommy cuts his head and goes all the way down to his bottom so he is in parts. She pulls out the guts. My mom cooks half the turkey in a pan, and my dad cooks the other half with a candle. The turkey cooks in a pan for eight minutes. Then my mom puts the pan in the oven for one minute until it's on fire. My dad's turkey gets on fire too, but he blows it out. We sit down, we clap our hands, and we say the pledge. I hope she meant fold her hands to say the blessing. Then we eat our turkey, and we eat corn with a stick too. I'll tell you, this, this, these, these kids were definitely not polled in Southern California. Because every one of them somewhat had an idea where the turkeys come from. This is somewhere in the south or something. Um, so Isaac, um, Kenny Gardner says, how he prepares turkey for Thanksgiving. He said, we eat chicken on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I like the faces. They have beaks on their chins. One time at Thanksgiving, there were lots of chicken faces. My mom was scared, but I liked it. Thanksgiving is yummy. I could eat it every day. I like Thanksgiving best because people come over and do things for us that are thankful. Aww. That's all I know about Thanksgiving, the end. And then I really like what Mandy said. Mandy said, turkeys fly to the farm. The farmer kills the turkey with a gun and brings him to Walmart. They look dead. The store takes the feathers off with a knife. The feathers are for sale, too. They take off the head and the beard, but the store doesn't sell them. Walmart puts the turkeys in bags, and me and my mom pick them out the best turkey. The best turkey is the shiniest. I don't want to talk about turkeys, really, but I guess I will. When we get home, we will cook and uh, cook it on the stove. I watch TV, so I don't know how long it's cooked. I guess my mom puts all kinds of ingredients in there. It cooks for a long time, like 45 minutes. I know when the turkey is done because my mom calls for me, and then we cut it up and eat it. And if any of it is burnt, we give that to my dad. <laughs> so the ingredients of how to have a blessed life. 
from the Lord. Those were the kids' ingredients for a good turkey. I want to give you in First Peter the ingredients for a blessed life. Look at ch- uh, chapter 3, verse number 8. It says, finally, and you guys are like, finally, this dude got to verse 1 of the sermon today. And it's already 12 o'clock. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, loving as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And so um, verse number 10 is one of the catalysts. Listen, he who would love life and see good days, and then the prescription follows. And so um, back to verse number eight, it says, finally be of one mind. So the Lord wants us in the house of God to be of one mind. It's important. It's important that we share among each other, that we share ideas, that we, we agree on things. Now, now we know within the church that, that there's areas of doctrine and different things among different churches that we disagree on. But you know what? As long as um, we get the essentials right. There are things that are non-essentials. A non-essential is an, is an area of, of theology or doctrine that has nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or hell. You know, some churches believe in speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. And, and, and certain churches baptize a certain style and other churches baptize a different style. And, and those are different flavors, 31 flavors. And, um, you know, we, we can disagree and we can actually be wrong or right on those areas. And, and we're still going to heaven. It's not a heaven or hell issue, right? There are other issues within the Christian faith that are absolutely, we have to be of one mind and we cannot be wrong on. Because... If you're wrong, the result is heaven and hell. Now, who Jesus is, it's a fundamental issue of your faith. You have to have the right Jesus. I, I don't have time to unpack that this morning. Just, uh, just, just believe me when I say it. It's really important that you have the right Jesus. And that you have the Jesus according to scriptures. And that you have a Jesus who is 100% God. And God himself came and died on a cross for your sins and for my sins. Because if you have the wrong Jesus, that's, that's the difference between heaven and hell. And so those areas, we, they do separate us. They, they do make a, a difference in our theology. And we have to separate on those issues. And like I said, there's other issues within the faith that are, that are non-essential um, issues that we can, you guys can be wrong on if you disagree with me. Um, and, and then he says, listen, having compassion. Look at verse number 8. Having compassion one for another. Whoa! This is so revolutionary. I mean, like we started in Genesis and we marched all the way through the Bible. And, you know, we went through all of David and all of the prophets and minor prophets and history and all through the Gospels and all the words of Jesus. And then we got Paul and we got James and we finally arrive at first Peter chapter three and we get this new revelation. Have compassion one for another. Right. No, <laughs> not at all. This, this is no new idea. Peter doesn't tell us anything. We spent, we, we spent 12 weeks, you guys, before we got in Peter and 1 John and 2 John. What, what did we say for 12 weeks was the message of 1 John? Come on, y'all. I'll, I'll, we'll stop right now and go back to 1 John. What, 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 what's the message of 1 John? Love what? Love what? Love one another. Love one another, right? That's a biblical concept. Moses tells us and, and David tells us. And again, this is not a new revelation. It's just another reminder. You've been told already by many different authors, many different places in the Bible, that as a Christian, it shouldn't be revolutionary to you that you are to love one another, that you are to have compassion one to another. 
When you come in here this morning, it's so important for us, you guys, as a church body, that you understand you're a minister, you're a royal priesthood, you're a servant of the Most High God, and that all of you have a responsibility to, to do this and to make people feel welcome and to reach out. And, and we've got to get rid of this mentality that you come to church to bless me, bless me, bless me. And if you don't bless me, Pastor, and the music don't sound right and the sermon is not great, then, you know, you blew it. Or whatever, like, no, come here with the heart that says, what can I give? And I'm called to love and have compassion. And so before you leave today, find somebody you've never met. Love on somebody, smile, shake somebody's hand, welcome somebody, encourage somebody. That's a work that that we do together. And as we have a body that has that heart, if we have people that buy into the idea that you are all called into this ministry, that we're to love one another. And love one another is not just an idea. It's not just a, a, a lofty vision that God has. It's practical for us as Christian people that we, we, we be the hands of God and we love people when you come in the doors. You know what's interesting about this commandment, though, all the way through the Bible? Just just little rabbit trail. I said I wasn't going to rabbit trail today. I lied. The, the commandment to love one another is primarily Christian to Christian, believer to believer. The Bible says, do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. Jesus said, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Now, now, don't get it twisted. I mean, biblical heart of God is that we as Christian people have a heart for lost people. We love lost people. We reach out to lost people. It's what, we live, it's what I live for. It's what I do for a passion for life. But, but the real call among Christians is that we love one another. And so when we're around other Christians, especially in the, in the function of local church, the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren together. There's a reason why God wants you in church. There's a reason why he wants you on a regular basis just around other Christian people. And believe me, it's not so you can hear me preach. Okay, you have to endure that to, to be obedient to what God's word says and, and to gather together and to love one another across the aisles, to, to sharpen each other, to, to bless each other, to meet each other's needs. Casey's going to be moving next Friday. She needs some help moving. And, you know, she could call me and never show up to church and call me and say, hey, I, I need you. And, and then I got to try to get on the phone and call you. And nobody really knows who she is and that she needs help. And um, and, and, and it's difficult. And I, I got to be an operator trying to make switches as the pastor to try to make connections in church. Well, the function, the way the church works is Casey comes. We know her. She's, she's a part of the church. And then when she has a need, the body of Christ can meet her needs and bless her. And, and it didn't happen supernaturally. It just happened very naturally within the function of us being obedient and gathering together as believers, loving across the aisle, having compassion on one another. And, and that's an important function of, of God's church. And then it goes on and he says, um, love as brothers. How many of you guys got a brother? <laughs> Some of the girls are like... So I have brothers and sisters. So when I think of love as a brother, I, I, I don't know. I think at one time my sister, she's, she's standing on my brother's shoulders and she's got, she's got his hair in her hands and she's, they're laying on the ground, but her, ha- her feet are on his shoulders and she's pulling her, his hair and she's saying, I feel the devil in me. <laughs> and he's telling her, I'm going to knock the devil out of you. And, and, and so I'm thinking love is brother. Sometimes it don't always paint the greatest picture in my mind of, of brotherly love when I, when I read this. And then I, and then I watch my own boys and, and I get every once in a while this little glimmer of hope that they actually do love each other. But they don't show it regularly. Like I spend most of my days and nights breaking up fights between them. And 
Um, and, and yet, it says here, which is encouraging, is that in, in this particular passage, that the, the, the idea is to love as brothers should love. Is this, this, this Philadelphia love, this brotherly love and this compassion that we should love as brothers. You know, the, the interesting thing is I've, I've had so many fights with my brother. But today, my closest confidant, one of my closest friends, somebody I love through thick and thin is my brother and somebody I'm closest to. The people that I, I were really close to as in high school and friends, they're not my life anymore, but my brother's still in my life. And no matter how many terrible fights, I've had the worst fights with my brother, physically, emotionally, yelling, everything you can imagine. The worst fights in my life have been with my brother. And yet to this day, he's, he's, he's my best friend. He's my closest confidant. He loves me more than anybody else. And um, by the grace of God, he serves Jesus today and he's a pastor in another church. And um, we, we have this, this certain friendship and connection that's, that's godly. And, and it, it is a good picture. That has become a good picture of what the Bible says here, that we're to love one another brotherly. And part of brotherly love means that we have disagreements and we have fights, but that those don't separate us permanently because your, your brother's always going to be your brother, right? You know, if it was one of my friends and I fought with one of my friends like that, we would just never have any more contact. It would be over. But a brotherly love is different because even when we have disagreements, we stay together as family. And and so this is the type of love. Hey, and then the Bible gives us the, the perfect example of what brotherly love is supposed to look like. So you don't need to think about my brother and I, because God gives you a better example. Last week, God gave us a perfect biblical example of what a, of what a biblical marriage is supposed to look like. Who was that? Are you guys, you guys are sleeping? Who was it last week? Who? All right. Thank you. Abraham and Sarah are the biblical picture of marriage. And, and this week, the biblical picture of friendship the Bible gives us is David and Jonathan. We find this, this, these two kindred spirits, these two men, these two brothers who had a wholesome, a righteous, a godly love that was from the Holy Spirit for one another. And the Bible tells us three times in 1 Samuel, twice in chapter 18, once in chapter 20, that he loved him as his own soul. And, and, and that's a biblical picture of, of, of friendship, a brotherly love, where these two guys, they, they, they just were close friends. And then the Bible goes on and it says, not returning evil for evil. Actually, I have to skip two real quick, but I'm trying to jam now. Be tenderhearted and be courteous. Now, that's not Chinese. I don't need to unpack that. Just know that as a Christian, you're, you're not called to give everybody a piece of your mind and be right all the time. And, and if that's your attitude about work and about life, then... You know, I'll give you a little piece of advice about trying to give everybody a piece of your mind. You, you might want to hang on to it because I don't know how much you got to give, how much you got to go around. You might want to keep what you got. But this this is repeated that that God's idea is for you to be courteous and, and to be tender hearted. And then he goes on and he says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing of happiness. And so um, not evil for evil. So if somebody's evil towards you, Jesus told us the same thing. If they hit you on one cheek, then, then give them the other cheek also. If someone is, is being evil or reviling to you, God wants you to bless them. It's difficult. I'll give you a practical way to help you in this area. If you have someone who's reviling, you heard, you heard the old expression, kill them with kindness? It's true. It's biblical. But here, here's a way, really, honestly, to make it affect your heart. If you pray out loud for somebody who's reviled you 
and you pray blessing. Now, don't pray one of those prayers that David prayed because David was like, Lord, bash his teeth in, Lord. You know, and he was he was serious, you know, smash his face and don't don't pray that way that David David got away with it. But we, we don't. But but if you pray blessing on somebody that's reviling you and you pray out loud and you say, Lord, I pray you'd bless them. I pray, Father, that you fill them with your spirit, that you would use them, that you would increase their territories and real honest blessing out loud for them. Then it'll change your heart for them and you'll be obedient to what this prescription. And don't forget what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about a recipe uh, with ingredients for blessing. And then um, he says, not returning evil for evil. Uh, one thing I got to make a side note because it's a little personal, but I, I want you guys to know this. Um, in, in Proverbs, in chapter 17, now don't turn there, I'll just read it to you. It says, whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Now, listen, the Bible promises you that if if you return evil, good for evil for good, that evil will never depart your house. And and, and Paul or Peter tells us if you return evil for evil and then the psalmist even takes it a step further. Now, listen, as Christian people, if somebody does good unto you and you return that with evil. Evil will never leave your house. How many of you guys want evil to stay and remain at your house? Nobody, right? You know, when I, I grew up, I had a, as my dad died when I was young and my mom had eight kids and um, life was always crazy around the house. We couldn't afford the, what we had. And my mom worked at, at a grocery store her whole life and trying to provide the little bit that she could and the older kids would leave as time. But, you know, I never remember a day growing up in my life where we didn't have some stranger living in our house. Because my, my, my brother and my sister had compassion and my mom had compassion and was reaching out to somebody. And, and then when I got old enough, my friend at times and my sister's friends, and we carried on the tradition. And, and I carried that into married life. And when Lydia and I got married, we, um, I, I wanted to be that way. I was like, I thought it was a cool thing. I grew up that way. We always had some stranger. Some, we were always reaching out to somebody, helping somebody. And if any of you have ever tried it and had to, somebody move in your house, you know how difficult it is care how good or nice that person is, it's very difficult, right, to have somebody come and live in your house. But multiple times in Lydia and I's life, we, we've really, with our heart, to bless and to help somebody, have reached out to somebody to do good, and it always ended bad. Not always, but many times it ended bad, where they left, and they were mad at us, and we were the devil, and we did them wrong, and, um, and they returned evil for good. And what's interesting is, as you watch those people, and, and, and you see them go to the next place, and the next place, this, this evil follows them. Because the Bible promises that if you return evil for good, evil will never leave your house. So I just want to encourage us today as Christians, you know, not only evil for evil, but especially be careful that if somebody does you good, that you're thankful and that you're appreciative and that you don't, you don't want evil to follow you. And then he says in verse number 10, now this is the catalyst. And I don't know why it took me so long to get here, but we are going to wrap up in the next few minutes. It says, he who would love life and see good days. Now, no brainer. How many of you guys want to love life and see good days? Now, there's always one of you. He's probably sleeping right now. But who doesn't want to love life and see good days? Okay? So, so that's something that, that is pretty unanimous that, that we want to see, that, that we want to know, we want to have. And so this is what the Bible says if you want to have that. And I've already told you, I've already given you the ingredients and the recipe for blessing and for prosperity and success in your life. And Peter, along those same lines, gives us the same kind of deal. And he says, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Stop talking trash, people. Put that lion out of your mouth and that gossip. And, you know, again, not Chinese, but he tells us, stop talking evil about people. What? You know, he doesn't say like all, you know, whatever. He says, he says, put, refrain from your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
Quit lying. Be honest. Let him turn away. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And his ears, we'll get to the next one. So there's this idea that you and I have. Like, I worked hard all week, man. It's Friday night. I, I'm, I deserve it. I'm going to go home and have a toddy and watch TV. Now, where, where did we get this idea that a beer and an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous is going to bring us what we're looking for? But yet, that, that's, that's the idea, right? That's the, the, the ingredients that we have laid out in our lives that, that give us or are supposed to help us achieve this reward that, that we're looking for. And yet God's word says that that's not really going to get it done. That's not going to deliver that. That's not going to give us what we're looking for. We, we have an idea that, oh, man, I what I need to, to, to refresh and feel better and and be blessed and have good days. And, and again, in the context, we're talking about long life and good days is I need a vacation. I need to go sit on the beach for a week. And, and that's how I'm going to get good days and, lo- and and happy life. And oftentimes in our walk and in, in finding happy life and good days on a vacation, we end up going backwards because we also decided that it was a vacation from God and we did ungodly things on that vacation. And we left God at home because that's what we needed to get refreshed. But yet the prescription, the ingredient that God gives is so much different. You know, I, I um, Sundays are a long day for me by choice. You know, I'm not not whining. I'm just but I, I get up early. I guess because I procrastinate all, all week, but I get up 3, 3.30 sometimes on a Sunday morning. I, I spend some time in prayer. I finish up the message and then, you know, preach two services, go out to lunch. Maybe the boys do something in the afternoon. And then we, we were having, for a while, we were having a Sunday night service. I come back Sunday night service and I'd get home at the end of a Sunday night service. And man, in my own mind, I'd feel like, okay, and, and preaching, I don't care. You know, stand up here and talking for, for two hours. You guys are like two hours. It's been two hours already and you already had another service. Okay, whatever, however long. It, it, it's physically tiring. It feels like, you know, if you swing a hammer, you work. If you've, if you've done, it, it's, it's as physically demanding and tiring for whatever reason. And I feel at the end of the day, like, okay, like if anybody at any point in my week, I deserve to be off. I'm off now, Lord. And, and, and so I do this Sunday night service and I was going home. And, and, and God would have me when I got home. He'd want me to do something. He'd want me to get in the word. I had, I had some video series that I was using for Bible study, but they were, I was watching them and he was having me watch these videos on Sunday nights at late, you know, when it was like time to be off. And so I started plugging these movies in. I started doing things on, on Sunday nights and I was so blessed. Such a, such a season of fruit growing in my life and of blessing. And it didn't come from a beer and an episode of TV when I, when I needed a break. It came from continuing to press into the Lord. It came from continuing to, to, to pursue the things that God had for me. And, and you know, we, we all go through seasons, myself included. You know, I'm not in that season right now. We don't have the Sunday night service right now. And now I go home, I go out to lunch on Sunday, and I go home after Sunday lunch, and um, I watch football. And if you know me long enough, you know what that means. I turn it on in the first quarter, and if I wake up before the fourth, I did good. But I watch football on Sunday afternoons. But... Um, And then he says, listen, this is the good part. The last part, we're done. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God says, this is what God says. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Well, where'd that come from? Did that come from them tall blue people? What were they called? Avatar. Is that what it's saying in Avatar? I see you. I see you. 
So God sees you. He, he sees you. And, you know, even like my Sunday, I, I, I know God saw that. God saw a little extra effort, a little extra pressing in, and, and he put fruit in my, in my garden. He put, he put blessings in my life that came from, from seeing what those things. And God sees you. And I want you to know God sees you. God sees you. He blesses you. He loves you. And um, there was a burglar, and a burglar broke in a house, and he was stealing houses, and he hears, Jesus is going to get you. And he whips around with his flashlight, and sure enough, hanging from the ceiling is this cage, and there's a parrot in the cage. And this parrot is telling him, Jesus sees you. And, and he's like, you stupid bird, you better shut up. And he keeps doing his thing, and he, he hears the parrot again. Jesus is going to get you. Jesus is watching you. And, and he finally, you know, and then he, he keeps stealing the stuff, and he hears the, hears the meanest, ugliest growl he's ever heard in his life. Urgh, scariest noise. And he whips that flashlight around. And underneath that, that birdcage is the meanest Rottweiler you've ever seen in your life. The biggest, baddest dog with the biggest teeth. And the parrot says, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching you and he sees you. So the Lord has laid out the ingredients to have a good life. It's not complicated, you guys. And it's not a matter of believe it or not believe it. It's a matter of obedience. Let's have the worship team come on up. Um, close us in a song. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for all of us. I'm, I'm, I'm in no different boat than you guys are. And the, the same struggle is real of, of practically living these things out. So listen, if you struggle with um, success, prosperity, if you struggle with what, what Peter promises us of good days and quality living, it's not because God didn't tell you how to have those things. It's not because God hasn't led you in that direction. It's because we, we, we just don't follow the ingredients. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just get out of your way here. We hate to take your stuff. We, we, don't, we don't have or we just don't follow the prescription, the, the ingredients, and put those ingredients into our cooking of living that God, God's laid out for us. And so just want to encourage you guys. You know the bad news about this message? I just took so many of your uses away. Like, tough. I use some Terryisms, like get a bridge, get a straw, suck it up, get a bridge, build a bridge, get over it. You know, like th- those, those things are in our lives and God has laid out for us. And so I know you believe them. Let's stand. I want to pray for you that we follow them and that, that, that you just take these things seriously, these promises of God's word and let, and let them bless your life. Amen? And let the Lord bless your life. And then as always, you know, we, we want everybody... Um, to have an opportunity to get their hearts, to get their life right with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray blessing. I'm going to pray for obedience in our lives. And then I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And, And this morning, if it's for you, and there's somebody in here who wants to ask Jesus in their heart to be their Lord and Savior, if you died today, you're not sure you're going to go to heaven. You don't know if you're a Christian or not. You don't know if you're born again or or not. When you leave here today, you can know that you know that you know you're going to heaven. You can know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you receive him and you surrender your heart and life to him and you receive him, you admit that you're a sinner and you ask for forgiveness. And we'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the prayer. And all you have to do this morning is agree in your heart with the Lord. And agree in your heart with our prayer. And then, and then tell somebody. I encourage you not to keep that a secret. Let somebody know. Let one of the ushers know. Let one of the pastors know. And let a friend know. And, and, and make that change real in your life. Let's pray. 
Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I thank you, Father, for 1 Peter chapter 3 and the whole book, Lord, that, that just is encouragement through suffering, practical living, Lord, ingredients for a blessing, a recipe for a blessing all the way throughout the scriptures. Meditate on the word of God day and night. Lord, press into things that are, that are spiritual and godly and we'll find that what we're looking for. Jesus, you said that if we lose our lives, we'll find it. And if we find our lives, if we seek our lives, then we'll, we'll lose them. And so, Father, we pray that each one of us would lay down our lives at your feet, that we would find life, that we would find prosperity and joy and happiness that we're looking for. God, I pray right now and, and just ask if there's anybody in here that wants to pray or wants to agree with this prayer, that they can right now ask Jesus in their heart, and I, and I pray, Lord, for anybody in here who wants to ask Jesus in their heart that, that right now, Lord, that even as they say yes to you, surrender their heart, admit that they're a sinner, ask for you to forgive their sins, that, Jesus, you would come into their life, fill them and be their Lord and be their, um, fill them with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.